Dr. James and Dr. Dante, and two very special guests. We have Dr. Stephen Olkowski and Dr. Don, uh, Dan excuse me, Skinner joining us to talk all things osteopathic identity. And gentlemen, thank you for joining us. I'd love to give you a little chance to, inter uh, to introduce yourselves. Thank you for having us on. I'm Stephen Walkowski. I'm uh, the Associate Dean for Clinical Sciences at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine and uh, previously from the Ohio Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Dan Skinner, uh, Associate Professor of Health Policy at uh, the Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine at the Dublin campus, which is a central Ohio campus uh, here in Ohio. And I uh, teach health policy to medical students. And, and uh, we are glad to have you both on the show. I'd love to hear you tell us a little bit about what brought about this paper. Now, you recently had a paper published. The title is Evocations of Osteopathy's Founder and Questions for Contemporary Osteopathic Professional Identity a thematic analysis. That's a title that both Dr. Dante and I appreciate a great deal. Um, what brought about this paper in the first place? Well, you know, for years, Stephen and I, as, as colleagues and friends, would get together uh, often at hockey games. And, you know, yeah. while we're watching the game, we would explore the different, uh, the, the, the pressing questions of osteopathic identity. I mean, St <laughs> Stephen is, uh, you know, <laughs> an OMM specialist and, and a highly respected person in the field. Um, I am not. I am a health policy person, political scientist who's been teaching at an osteopathic medical school since 2014. So they were always really just fascinating conversations of history, philosophy, and and, and things like that. And, and, and that kind of started to open the doors. Uh, and then as the pandemic came in 2020, and we found ourselves with uh, lots of students looking to uh, do some deep dives and to make use of that time, that's when we kind of put the project into process. I, I think that's really a, a great characterization. And I think that um, given that when when Dan started at the Dublin campus, I had been on the um, Ohio University Athens campus since 2007. Mm -hmm. And so our hockey game conversations were very much a question of what is this osteopathic thing and what makes you different and you know what what makes you an osteopathic physician and uh, for me the question of that sense of identity has been um huge because as you know um osteopathy is often practiced in name only and uh so yes. that combined with um the changes that we were really facing at that time, which was the transition into the single accreditation system. I think we had, I certainly had strong concerns about, you know, what, what is the ultimate short-term end of osteopathy? And could this, does it, what does it mean to be an osteopathic physician during this time? And, you know, how can we help our students um, negotiate these waters as well? So it's fantastic. Well, and that's been an, uh, a long time discussion, right? Like, what does it mean, osteopathic medicine? What does it mean to be a practitioner, a physician of osteopathic medicine versus an osteopath versus uh, other uh, modalities for treatment? And even even around Dr. Stills passing, there was that that discussion. Um, and so where do you see us 
now compared to historically uh, within this profession and keeping in mind that the more physicians we train in osteopathic medicine, this discussion even becomes, I think, more important. You know, when I first started getting interested in this question, I mean, I, I come to this as an osteopathic med medical educator, and I, I've learned the history over these years and all of that. But I really, I talk with students a lot. And, you know, this is a tough thing because you have some kind of old guard, a bit more senior osteopathic physicians out there who really expect the next generation to fight the fights that they fought, to care about the identity questions, to, you know, right. carry the torch. and Again, being a non-DO, I kind of come at this a little bit like a, the the objective outside social scientist type. My students, by and large, don't care, you know. And and this is very sad to a lot of people who have come up in this. They certainly don't want to fight some of those fights. And you know, I ask them, you know, what if somebody came to you today and said, "Hey, you're going to get an MD, not a DO." What would it, and it just doesn't matter to most of them. They they want to be great physicians, and I think that's a cool mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. But the broader questions of the identity, I think, are fascinating to 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 really get into. But I also think it's just a little unfair to expect that generation of students, with all that they have in front of them, to necessarily pick up the same you know fights. Well, and the fight has changed, right? At at one point in, especially early on in our history, but even going into the mid last century, there was a, a real battle with the AMA about who was going to practice medicine and what was that going to look like. That battle has largely, I can't say resolved per se, but it has changed. And so it can it can make sense to me that students are looking at this thing saying, what are we worried about, right? We're all going to be doctors. But at the same time, what does that mean? So how do we well, how do we really approach this discussion and and help students recognize the importance and what this what this means moving forward, I guess? yeah, from from my perspective, um, I thought you, you you brought up a great point there, which is the sort of middle of the 20th century and the changes that we went through and, and really the battles that we waged uh, with the, the allopathic profession in terms of acceptance. And so, you know, what, what happened, I think it's common lore is that, I, and I feel like we sacrificed a lot of the pieces of us that made us osteopaths in order to sort of fit in and amalgamate. And I think that that, um, that thinking, you know, I think that's probably, is there, is there such a thing as generational professional trauma? Um, I think that, you know, I've probably- I was gonna bring up that idea if you didn't actually, or something alluding <laughs> to that. Because, especially because we have the poli-sci guy here as well, and then given mind right. things, right. there's the idea that across generations what the quote-unquote old guard had to do to create the entity is not felt by those who were born with the identity versus those who got to join in on it after the battles yep. legal and sometimes physical there's a Absolutely. cannon at one point mm -hmm. you know what i mean at yep. some point somebody brought a cannon to a med school um, <laughs> that was a fun story um but but the the, the there's the individual aspect that um, Dan brings up regarding the individual physicians in training, but then there's this population level phenomenon about the shared, I guess, team phenomenon of like, 
and then we fought for the field and then we became mm. this and then mm -hmm. nah man we're just here to get the white coat versus right. etc yes. but those come in layers right you can't have the white coat we're just here to be docs man i don't care if an md or do until the folks have already cleared the path for assimilation which uh, implies that there was a conflict that led to the assimilation event right right yeah. Uh, resistance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was what I was really worried about, especially with the single accreditation. And I've been really surprised at the amount of programs that even though we even though we lost, you know, traditional osteopathic programs, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of those were again osteopathic in name only. And the 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 concept of osteopathic recognition while I was extremely suspicious of it at first, um, I feel like it maybe has brought some new meat to the table in uh, medical education. And, and there maybe is some hope and promise in terms of the reignition of osteopathic philosophy and practice, even within the allopathic residents that come into osteopathically recognized programs. I'm really, I'm really pleasantly surprised. Well, I, I just went to the Residency Leadership Summit that the AAFP puts on every year in Kansas City. And one of the overriding uh, questions I received from fellow program directors, uh, allopathic, you know, the MD program directors is, how do we do this osteopathic recognition? Yep. How do we support our residents who want to do OMT and osteopathic medicine, knowing that we don't have the experience? And so there is a movement out there saying, hey, this is valuable. How do we support it? Which is interesting to me that I have noticed in my short time as a physician, I graduated from uh, PCOM in 2011. There's been a lot of support from MD attendings out there, much more than I anticipated that, that there would be. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because so it's important to note, by the way, this project that Stephen and I have been doing has been with students, and this paper was co-authored with a student of ours, uh, Tom Esber, mm -hmm. who's who's graduating mm -hmm. this year. And okay. you, you know, as as you look around, I mean, this is one one of the things that always confused me. I mean, I know there are some discussions about discrimination and sort of like you know, rumblings about residencies and match and like you know all that kind of stuff, and and we could get into that. But by and large, I look around, I've never heard an MD say a bad thing about a DO. But I hear DOs say they're better than MDs all the time. And I find right. that fascinating <laughs> because there's a kind of minor, and we get into this in the paper. I will tell you, um, mm -hmm. you know, in uh, early on in the paper, there was more Freud going on. I have a background in political theory. I <laughs> I might have picked up on that. I yeah. have so many questions. <laughs> As you may know, I'm glad I you mean, brought that up, by the way, because... <laughs> Solid. Cool. At least I'm not reading that too deep into that. <laughs> yeah, but cool. as you may know, it's not easy to publish, you know, Freudian analysis of the osteopathic profession in an osteopathic <laughs> journal and all that. So we had to kind of hide that a little bit. But <laughs> right. like, but, but, I won't but, out you, I promise. But it's interesting, right? I mean, one of the, one of the motivating uh, observations we had in this work was just a simple fact that osteopathy has a philosophical foundation to it. Like, allopaths don't have that. They get to be physicians right without any kind of weird baggage of like at still or like you know i mean any of this stuff and and in a way that's a loss for them but in a way also it's a it's a real unburdening to not have to think about what is our relationship to the 1890s and like well you know, no one's asking 
<laughs> yeah, no one, no one's asking what would Galen do. Right. And, and, <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. I and, mean, and, well, yeah. as a counterpoint, there is a thing called a Hippocratic Oath, apparently, which <laughs> might. Yeah. Yeah, but Whether it's not like, they. Yeah. It's pretty vague, and and, yes, and like yes, yes. you know, do not don't 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 do harm is like you know, yeah. um, but don't but I, I, I say that tongue in cheek, obviously, but <laughs> but the fact that MDs don't really have a philosophy is not, and it's not a knock. It's just kind of they're kind of free in the sense that, like again, to the Freudian piece, right? Like there's something freeing about not having to worry about what your founder would think of you or whether you were you had fidelity to the original idea you can kind of just keep moving forward much right. like some of that analysis talks about what happens when you're finally sort of like you cut the tie so so you're right. saying that there's no father that they have to slay in order to <laughs> like further actualize themselves no but i mean and steven you, you know this i mean one of the codes uh, one of the things we recognized in this paper was that in the Journal of Osteopathic Medicine, um, you know, the, which is what we looked at closely, they spend a lot of time wondering what AT still would think of us today, which is not that different than what I think about what my father would think about me today. And he's been gone for right. 12 years. Like, so it, it's a kind of father forgive us of our sins. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and but if you if you don't have to worry about that, there's something kind of like opening to that. But I'll, at the same time, the history is so interesting. And, and, and the philosophy is so attractive in so many ways that I really think our students are kind of caught in the middle of a thing and it's fascinating. Mm. And it's true. Uh, and then you combine that with them going into a, a medical field that really doesn't seem to emphasize a particular philosophy and how do you preserve that? You know, if the uh, student that you're teaching is dead set to go into dermatology, how how does this implement implementation of osteopathic medicine apply to them you know um it's an interesting conversation to have and that going back to that 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 question what would still do uh, i have a hard time uh, putting any kind of weight into someone coming up with an answer to that because <laughs> it ends up being an exercise in just self-reflection and right yeah, I mean, it has value, but not in the question in and of itself. Right. Yeah, it's almost like, what would I do if I were still versus what would still do? I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. But it's the, it, it is, it's the evocation of the name that, you know, gives it sort of a, I mean, a, a false gravitas. So, yeah. And in health and, policy, I mean, you know, so, some of these moments are kind of like, I mean, I don't want to make, belittle them at all, but they're they're humorous to me. You know, the idea that as a health policy person, the idea that AT still would like love Medicare Advantage because of like <laughs> X, Y, or Z, or like that AT still would have a have 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 a philosophy on kind of like pharmacy benefit managers or something like that. Like you know, you, you kind of see this sort of like wondering, but it's it's not actual wondering. It's actually about the present. It's actually I think about he used the word who we the phrase name dropping in the actual paper, and I was like, it, that, yes. that amounts to what it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's name dropping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems to me that what maybe we should be more emphasizing what we're doing right now is what would we do? What do we want for our patients? What do we want for our profession? Where do we want it to go? Yeah, Where do we want to lead it? Because mm -hmm. the value I see in this kind of conversation is 
okay, fine, let's restructure the question. Yes, the, the, the surface question is what would still do, which we can critique that for days, but there's this there, there's an almost attempt happening at abstracting out what the osteopathic thing is that almost happens as a consequence of the question when taken sincerely, which I do see value in, right? The, the, the surface question of what would still do has a bigger intimation of what is it that the osteopath do using him as kind of like the icon for quote unquote, the OG osteopath. Um, and there is worth in there if the conversation is had um, in a more conscious manner, as opposed to just name dropping for the sake of defending Medicaid or something like that. Right. You know, it is a tricky thing though, right? When you talk about, and we see this with single accreditation, um, we see this with just even my students, you know, kind of, they kind of, tell you know since i'm not a do they, I, I think i get a little bit of some of these these data points in, in ways that maybe some others don't but they don't feel sure. completely comfortable expressing their ambivalence about osteopathy or even exploring it because they feel like they might get in trouble a little bit or something like that um, at the same time you know they they need to find their way through what really ends up becoming very fast just medicine pretty quickly in, in residence and, and those questions mm -hmm. go, go away. So um, I, I like to give them space for expressing that, that kind of question. I mean, and also rectifying something like being the same and being different are just, I mean, they're tantalizingly frustrating. And if you were a student who's like, wait, wait, am I supposed to be really different and, and articulate a, a, a philosophical difference? Or do I need to show that I'm just like them? And if you look at, for example, like the, the, the first sentence for the A on the AAWA's website for years, I, I checked every once in a while to see if they'd changed it, was something like, DOs are fully licensed to, you know, <laughs> physicians. And I'm like, my goodness, is that a defensive way to introduce yourself? We are yourself? doctors too. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we can do what he can do. That exact sentence in that exact website, because of that, that, that piece of text and code was what essentially blossomed into the Rolling Bones show, essentially. Mm. Like it, it truly did. Because as as you may have hopefully noticed, having consumed some of our material, we're trying to articulate the osteopathic thing without saying, by the way, we're physicians too. Like there is something to be said about explaining a thing in and of itself, as opposed to in contra to an opposition. Right. And we're not very good at that at the at the professional level of describing what we are as such right one of the yeah. one of the things i keep going back to in this conversation or keep thinking is that you know the difference the difference that we are mm -hmm. it it really is is the manipulation right it is that is right. the big the big demonstrable difference and it's not to say that an alpath physician can't do that work, but there is something about that being the demonstration of the philosophy that really defines what an osteopath does. And it's, I'm sitting here saying that and I'm thinking, no, no, it's got to be more than that. But I think it's, <laughs> it's um, I, you know, you know it's, it's not just cracking the thoracic. It's it's what that means, which is really interesting. Really interesting. And and, and what think, does that mean? 
Yeah. I think there's something to it though. And yeah. I'm kind of tapping into folks who are clearly quite philosophically read um, in this type of discussion. There's this idea that um, I, I do believe that there's more to the identity than the simple act of medicine plus manipulation. But at the same time, the, the metacognition the philosophy, all of the secondary things that almost emerge and become important in their own right. I I don't know, and I, I mean that in a sincere, I don't know. Sure. If those phenomenon would have occurred, if not for the manipulation itself, as in, I wonder if those are abstractions off the manipulation, as in the, the initial act right. was to lay hands on and do something with the hands in opposition yep. to chicken yep. guts. And then all of the logic that had to happen, all of the thought processes, therefore, evolved into the greater entity yeah now to be fair that does not imply that the hands and the manipulation are core necessarily but there's definitely a relationship there where i don't think we would have had the principles in philosophy if not for that initial action like the physical action that it was all built in around right right, right. Yeah. well and i would love i would love for us to move away from the we are positions to uh philosophy to a more of this is who we are if you like it, come mm -hmm. to us. You know that's that's your choice. This is who we are. This is what osteopaths do. Yeah. And you know, I I I have to look at the chiropractic history, and and I realize their profession has division as well, and is having similar discussions. But one thing that they did from early on to survive the medical purge that I like to call the AMA's efforts during the early 1900s was we're chiropractors this is what we do come and see us yeah you know they they weren't arguing so much hey look this is us too uh, we're physicians too you know we're chiropractors let's do this and i would love to get us to at least a a a point where we're thinking to ourselves this is what i do mm -hmm. if you if you as a patient like what i do come and see me right yeah you know, and by the way, uh, chiropractic also has a founder, right? And and a very <laughs> yes, they do yes, complicated one, right? And and that's <laughs> that's part of that profession's, uh, you know, sort of like negotiations. Uh, another paper that came out of this working group that Stephen and I started with colleagues and with other students in in the spring of 2020, um, which was published in the uh, Open Access Journal of Sports Medicine. Now this paper really drives some DOs crazy because we interviewed as many of the physicians working on the staffs of professional sports teams as we could. And mm -hmm. we wanted to know what's it like being a DO uh, in that world, right? Now, one of the things that came up pretty clearly in a small sample, there's not that many and all that. Those are the caveats of the qualitative research here. But we have a couple quotes in there from DOs because we asked them, do you do manipulation? And a couple of them said, oh, I let the chiropractors do it. They're just as good. <laughs> now, you want to make people's heads spin. This is a good way to do it, right? <laughs> to, to say we defer to chiropractors, they're just as good. You know, that's that's complicated stuff in the profession. But what it was is. really happening on these sports teams was these people wanted to be good colleagues. They needed to have a unified front with these high-level million-dollar, you know, Lamborghini body athletes, right? They couldn't be fighting philosophical fights because if you show any dissent or even difference, or you're going to like, hey, we're going to be osteopathic or allopathic or whatever, then you are not serving the patient in that context. And these people just wanted to keep their relationship with these <laughs> big-time professional sports teams so they didn't fight osteopathic fights at all.
right? That, it, that's interesting. That's interesting. And and uh, I must admit, there have been times where I've seen some professional athletes getting OMT done at, uh, on site. And I go, oh, look, they're doing OMT. But I wasn't sure it was actually an osteopathic who was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. So let's let's play with this a little bit, because I, I really enjoy the vibe for this conversation. But that paper was really something. Like, there was some meat in there that I want to I break into. Would it be... Would it be interesting if we gave these two the field for a little while to talk us through some of the big ideas in that paper so we can kind of reintroduce that to the bigger discussion with the four of us? Yeah, let's do. There, there, there are some dope things there, man. Like I was, <laughs> I was talking about it in the first, we've, we were trying to record this like four times and it failed on us. This is like, this is attempt four, right? There are some really <laughs> interesting things in that paper, man, that I really want to put out there. And because the four, you, I mean, you two wrote it and we read it. It's just kind of there in the back of our heads, but we got to bring that stuff out into the front, man. What do you guys think? Is that a fair way to spend some time? Sure, sure. So, right. so like, I mean, first of all, the the idea of a founder, right? And we've talked about this before, but just to kind of unpack it for a minute. I'm a political theorist by training. So you, you spend time on things like the founding fathers and even in, in like the Supreme Court, right? If you, anybody who knows a little bit about, you know, um, Know, kind of the, the the broad strokes and uh, constitutional law philosophies. One of the big questions is: Can you be an originalist? Can you can you be uh, you know respectful and, and and adhere closely, stay close to what the founders intended and what they wanted? So how do you read the Second Amendment like that? Well, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, okay, the the president's the commander in chief of the army and navy. There was no air force, but we assume that that would be fine to go with, you know. But like. If you're going to be an originalist about things, then you have to do this whole recovery effort. What would they right. think of this? What would they, you know, and, and anything with a founder is going to go through that kind of question if you care about what that founder felt. And then you have the sort of like, the, you know, the, the, the other folks who reject originalism and they say, no, no, this is about us today. We are, we are live human beings. We can shape our worlds today. Um, but there are going to be some people who are going to think that you're being um, disrespectful, that you're leaving the founder behind, you're, 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 you're departing from those original uh, theories. And I think that's kind of the theoretical framework underpinning what we were looking for. What we mm -hmm. did in the paper was just to go through and Tom Esber and Stephen and I, we, we, we looked at every article. I forget. It was like 100 years or something. Just you went to... through a lot of articles. Yeah. And, and we just went to 93. Know. Yeah, we just wanted to know, yeah. like, what when they mention AT still, what are they doing? You know, what what kind of claim is being made there? And I'll let Stephen say more. Well, I just, I, I mean, I'll just talk about the experience of it, and and you know, I I came into it with that sort of bias that he often his name is often name dropped, and uh, it was just really fun to look at how many different ways people. <laughs> took his name in vain and <laughs> and uh, um and and the the things that were attributed to him and um and just the you know kind of the snippets that we pulled out was just it was just so entertaining um i mean i i think that uh i mean i love the fact that um the there's a quote um, from the uh, Dorothy Marsh from the California Osteopathic Association mm -hmm. that uh, where she basically um, recites the Gettysburg Address 
um in, right. in relationship to at still you know like he brought forth on this continent a concept conceived in canvas in kansas um and uh just uh, I, I i i love that i love that and also i you know i know this is a family podcast and all but like just to say it to come back to our our, our dr freud that we i mean we took some of this stuff out but there is discussion of conceiving you, Spreading of the <laughs> spreading of seeds. So, I mean, there Dan, is like let, let me just let me just get out the way. You can talk about Freud openly in this place. <laughs> it's this is a this safe is a, space to talk about all that weird stuff. It's okay if you say the word phallus, nobody's gonna like ban you. Yeah, all yeah, the yeah, kids yeah. are in bed. No, but but, but <laughs> it's, it's not really... even that. It's just by the nature of the content. It's this. We're not afraid of we, Freud. We invite you to talk about this stuff, man. It's, when we talk about paging Dr. Freud, that old joke, right? I mean, <laughs> just like he would be proud of us. I mean, again, coming back to the daddy issues. I, and by the way, I wanted to, I wanted to call this paper daddy issues and I got talked down from that, but like, you know, God, there, like there is guy. a, there is a question of like, would he be proud of us? Like, and I'm like, this is fascinating to see <laughs> these grown adults who are extreme. I mean, these these are extremely accomplished physicians who have many degrees and have gone through the ringer and they've accomplished so much and they're still kind of like is it good enough like am i doing am i doing it right mm. now i think i mean I'm sure, mds certainly have some of this but dos have this special thing the thing and, is with us it's institutionalized like yeah. look if 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 a doc has that kind of relationship with a literal or um abstracted father figure that tends to be an individual experience for said physician right but mm -hmm. because of the nature of our institution there is a default setting that we're going to have a, like like a father complex to a founding father you know what i mean we we create the environment for that which to be fair has led to a lot of the more uh, derogatory impressions of the field in that cultishness right in the same mm -hmm. sense that we have a founding mm -hmm. father yeah, exactly. in the same sense that we have a a sense of honoring a legacy that cult of personality, cult of personality, is very easy to spin cultish, especially when unchecked or left too deep in the unconscious, because it's not properly filtered. Because let's be real, not exactly every physician's well read in that context. You know, but the history here—I mean, so this, this was you know, um, hibble for me, right? Because the history is so rich. I mean, abolitionism, uh, some some semblance of early feminism in medicine and and a role mm -hmm. for women at the same time. So I like to point out, for example, you know, I, I regard Dr. Karen Nichols as, as a mentor and, and somebody I have tremendous respect for. But every March sure. we hear, you know, well, she was the first uh, president of the AOA, female president of the AOA, et cetera, et cetera, which is a huge accomplishment. But that was 13 years ago. Right. So like, and we have one and the AOA was founded in 1897. That's actually and, not impressive. And, right. No, so, especially so, since women had been trained as DOs from nearly the very beginning. Right. So they didn't ascend to the ranks of the profession in big ways. And, and I think that's where we, we need to be careful about leveraging Dr. Still to point back to, let's say, Black Lives Matter or anti-racist origins or abolitionism or feminism or whatever. And we need to look at right now with kind of clear eyes. Unapologetically. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with evaluating the historical context and addressing those issues. Well, the AMA, as you know, I mean, look, I, you know, 
I tell students, you want to understand what's screwed about screwed up about the American healthcare system. Read about the AMA and learn that history. It's it's a great place to go. And you know, I, I but but the problem uh, yeah. is is that like the AOA, <laughs> it's not like you look at the AOA and find a kind of alternative history necessarily. You sort of find a little bit of a kind of secondary, a little bit late to the game, not necessarily getting out front of issues. You know, so mm-hmm. like you know, if we're gonna be a philosophy that really stands for things and wants to stake territory out then we need to be bold. And right now, I think the profession's kind of caught in like, we want to, we stand for things, we're different, we have a real philosophy and also like, we got to keep our head down and make sure we don't become targeted for the differences. And that's a really hard position to be in. And it's especially hard when you're a young physician or soon to be physician and you're just trying to get in the game. Especially physicians who are still medical students because you know there is a hierarchy in the medical education uh, environment where students are not necessarily encouraged to question and and look and to evaluate those kinds of uh, things that they're being taught so i i could see how students would struggle with this of saying this is what they're telling me is it valid for me number one and should i hold on to it or do I need to question it further? I can imagine that's very difficult for students to evaluate. It, that's interesting when when um, uh, looked in the context of OMT, again, um, because it's the one thing that stands out in medical education and is sometimes mm-hmm. um, you know, denigrated by, by students, but, but largely because I think and I believe that they just don't have a context for it. And it's not until they, you know, I see physicians that are in practice who find out that they can't handle everything that they were told they could handle and, and, and find OMT as a possible solution to those kind of problems. And, you know, it, it sort of reinvigorates those medical students that may have talked harshly about OMT um, back in the day. So yes, um, it is, it, it, it's, it's very, it's very contextual in terms of where the students are in, in a certain place in time and whether or not they experience that part of osteopathy. Well, and I, I find uh, fascinating, D- uh, Dante and I, we, we, we are employees of UNT HSC. So TCOM is part of our uh, university. Mm-hmm. And we work across the street from the school. And we have a number, we often have third and fourth year students rotate with us in our OMM clinic, as well as our family medicine clinic, where we're doing a lot of OMT. Sure. And it's it's amazing how students, when they finally get to see this stuff in action, where finally it, it makes sense to them. And we have that conversation all the time. Of, I, I understand your frustration with learning OMM and lab. You're working on a bunch of healthy people and you finally get to see it in clinic and that's where it really hits. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. I, the, unfortunately, a lot of medical students don't get that opportunity. Right. 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 And, and, and a lot of medical students sometimes don't get opportunities outside of specialty clinics like yours, which aren't really specialty clinics. They're just like patient care clinics, but yes. they don't get to see it in action outside of that sometimes. You know, I, I think with things like this, I mean, just like psychology itself, 
what I hope for is to have more spaces where people can express their ambivalence about things, where they can mm -hmm. be honest mm. without getting attacked. That like, you know, so for example, you know, cards on table and the students will tell you this. Most of our students at Ohio University and, you know, didn't come to our college because they love osteopathy. Many of them love Ohio, right? Um, mm -hmm. Some of them didn't get into some of the MD programs and that was fine. And like, you that's know, if, okay. if, and that's fine, right? But, but I think what we do is we kind of create this sort of um, need to present in a certain way. And uh, we, we tell a, a singular story, which actually cuts out the more interesting things about many of our students, which is that they bring extraordinary backgrounds to patient care. They have passion for, for patient care in ways that has nothing to do with osteopathy. You know, I was just in the Netherlands and I also, uh, in another part of my job at OU, I get to take students to Cuba sometimes. Those two, those two places cool. are fascinating. The Netherlands, all MDs, of course, but they mm -hmm. are notoriously conservative in their use of pharmaceuticals. Right. They sound more like DOs to me than 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 many DOs even today. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and, and that's a that's a national culture in Cuba. They don't have the fancy equipment. Um, they don't have the, the the high end stuff. So they use their hands a lot. The physical exam. They sound more like DOs than many of the DOs I know as a result. So mm -hmm. if we can get back to the what, what is the philosophy about? You know, Brian Carmody, who maybe you all know about, you know, mm -hmm. has caused a little bit of trouble by asking some of these core questions. And, you know, he has total respect for, for osteopathy. But what he points out is that the osteopathic goal is not to rule medicine, right? It's to change medicine. So everybody's more osteopathic. And if you never get credit for that and they don't even call it osteopathy, who cares? As long Patients as are better for it, <laughs> as long as that that approach and philosophy persists and survives, and and truth be told, what do we need to get back to? You know, when we ask that question, we need to get back to this philosophy or that philosophy. What do we truly need to get back to, or do we need to move forward? So let's play with that idea, actually, just because we, uh, before diving too deep in that. Um, there's an idea I want to explore a little bit about the paper to get to that question, actually, because I was about to jump right into that one. There's a thing that you guys do in the paper, and it's a methodology. I run the journal club for my residency, so this methodologies get me excited. Sorry. Um, probably one of the nerdiest things I'm going to say in a long time. But, um, also, also quite Freudian, but go on. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I fully embrace this, man. But... There, there's something about that methodology that should be explored because a lot of the value I saw in the paper that'll lead to that question comes from how you guys dissected the content of those various 90 plus papers, right? So um, what the heck is a thematic analysis? And I'm asking that obviously on behalf of the listener, not myself right now, because we just had fun nerding out about it before this. But can you bring that out so we can talk about that in the context of James's question about getting back to things? Yeah, so, so I have a background in rhetoric, in, in political theory and rhetoric, and, you know, this is really rhetorical analysis in a way. This is looking at, you know, I mean, hopefully we're, we're teaching our students, for example, to do this kind of listening with patients. Why did the patient word it that way? You know, they mentioned something that uh, I didn't mention that, but why, so why did you take it in this particular perspective, this particular, uh, you know, direction? 
right there. Why did you use that metaphor and not another metaphor, right? And, and in rhetoric, you learn to listen to people's words, just like a good psychiatrist or psychologist will listen to a patient and say, wait, 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 I didn't mention your brother. You did, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, and the more you can get a patient to talk, the more language you get. And language is a key to what's going on in the interior space. It's whether it's, you know, um, some sense of inferiority, some sense of, of hope, um, you know, I, group identity is based on mutual suffering oftentimes. And mm -hmm. I do worry that sometimes we are indoctrinating our students or in, in, inducting them into a society of people who are supposed to suffer in the same way, experience the same discrimination, the same worldview. Um, a shared you know, victimization it, kind of thing. Yeah, because it's it's so, I mean, that's a way to bond, right? You're all suffering right. through medical school. That's a great way to bond as a group. But we worry about what happens when identity is based on suffering instead of, you know, aspirations to do great things in the world. I mean, I spend more time in my work as a health policy person trying to convince my students to stop complaining and be upset about things and to look for opportunities about their the next thing in their career. The problem is, is that they're talking to all these more senior physicians who fill them with so much like, if I were you, I wouldn't go into medicine and this kind of stuff. And it's like, Come on, these people no, have wait a second. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, they're so negative even before they've stepped out to be a physician yet. And I just think that's a hugely depressing thing. And it, it is uh, uh, definitely detrimental to the profession. You know, uh, what we want are more folks that, who are physicians like Gandhi, who sees the difficulties and pushes through that for the better. And how do we... And I hate to use the term resilience. I don't want to make resilience any more than what it is. But how do we, how do we break out of the victimhood of the past to move forward to a glorious future? I, I want Stephen to answer that in part, but I want to just say one thing. One of the reasons why I love Stephen and why he's like somebody I've learned so much about osteopathy from is because he is, again... He's not like a dabbler in osteopathy. This guy lives osteopathy. This is like, you know, at the same time, he stays away from the traps and he stays away from the dead ends. So I, I love that about him. But There's I think a lot to unpack there. Yeah. But <laughs> well, I, I, I'm saying that in the context of, so to be a perfect upfront, Dr. Aston and I are uh, relatively, uh, we're pretty junior doctors, right? We, we graduated residency, the pandemic happened and boom, we were born in that. So a lot of our a lot of our field experience and whatever wisdom we would have accrued in our time thus far doesn't give us the means to fall into or see some of those what you refer to as dead ends and traps just yet, knowing that they exist, knowing that they have been fallen into by various and being aware of them given the nature of our content, it's that is a fascinating way to describe somebody. Yeah, I'm interested now. <laughs> what? So I'm going to sit up straight. Are you talking about? I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I everybody sees traps differently. I think one of the big things that I see um, is are, are is that osteopathic apologist. I mean, the person who is you know 
Um, yes, we're just like MDs um, we, the, it, and, and sort of apologize for the fact that we're who we are. And I think that that, that sense of this is what we do, come see me if you want to, um, is, is absolutely the antidote to that. I think that the, um, you know, forever, uh, you know, osteopaths, osteopathic physicians would say, you know, it's not just OMT. It's that we have a more holistic view, the mind, body, spirit view of the patient. Well, nobody has a corner on that market anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that's just, that exists. And that, that's just good medical care. Um, so it's, it, 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 it isn't just that. I mean, yes, that's osteopathic, but it, it's only osteopathic in context. So, you know, again, recognizing that, you know, just don't apologize for who you are or what you do. And, and then, you know, my attitude is, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do this the way I want to. And, um, you know, right. just kind of damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've gotten myself into, you know, trouble sometimes. But but, but I can, that's I can see the underlying frontierism in the way we're trained in that in those sentences, man. Like, <laughs> which which I mean to be fair, right? That, I, Absolutely, I, I think that's, right. I think that's part of the right. We uh, to James's initial question before I segued back into the paper uh, through you guys. Getting back to things, there there was a very real frontierism screw off. We're going to make this happen aspect to this uh, mode of medicine, right? The the cult of still the founding yeah. effect of blah 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 was really right. based a lot around finding a better way because damn it all we're in the middle of the goddamn frontier was right. an actual attitude for us right it definitely wasn't finger to the wind let's uh you know focus group this and figure this out <laughs> yeah we, no. were, we were doing survey monkey to uh, figure right. out what people were thinking right 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 i mean if you if you take it back to still if you take it back to still there you it know, is. he was he was trying to <laughs> interpret life I mean, he was trying to see beyond the veil and, you know, right. he, he, he based his entire work on that. And, you know, it, it was the primacy and the inherent wisdom of life and of nature. And, and he was trying, I think, if you believe the stories, um, you know, he was trying to get to that and apply that. Uh, as it exists in the human being. And, and the other part of that frontierism too is uh, it, his just beautiful medical or religious heresy at that time, which, you know, just, just flying in the face of basically puritanical culture um, was just, um, I, you know, I, I just relish in that. I relish that. And, and his turn away from, from the original sin and, and recognizing the perfection in humanity. Um, just, yeah. There's nothing more American than that. <laughs> in truth. It's like, let's well, break away with, with break away from the foundation that we were built on and do something different because what was happening wasn't working. That's the hope. Yeah. But also, you know, it's funny. We, we... And this is a hard thing to navigate. So one of the things I've, you know, Stephen and I bonded on early on, and 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 caused a little bit of trouble with was, you know, the profession didn't want to deal with Larry Nasser very much, you know, and, uh, and that's true. And and Stephen's love of osteopathic medicine and 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 his care for his patients, the way he interpreted that was, 
we can't run from this. We need to attack this directly and 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 discuss this. Mm-hmm. The more we need to discuss this, not run away from it. And that was kind of heresy at the time. But the things you love the most are supposed to be the things you critique the most. And I think we 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 share that. If you love something enough to be honest about it, then you can actually save it and improve it. And yeah, I see too much hiding you know, going, going on around those kinds of things. Larry Nasser is the most famous DO possibly ever. That's he's way more famous than AT still. Yeah. Because you ask the average American ain't wrong <laughs> that day, but they're like, Oh, it's that guy. Right. So right. Uh, we, and, we like to joke that uh, even in Fort Worth, where we have this big osteopathic medical school, if you walk down the street and ask someone what an osteopath is, they're like, a what? Yeah. I have no idea what that is. So, so, you know, I mean, you know, you, you have, if, if you really love the thing, then, then you don't run away from those moments. And I think, I think that's the kind of like, it may be heresy to some people to actually want to like jump into those things, but that's actually a, a way of loving the thing even more to say, I love this too much to let this just kind of like get swept under the rug right. because our students also, they're going to, they're going to be, this is going to be confronting them. We need to prepare them. Well, new, when I work with my residents, I care about them. And because I care about them, I talk to them about what's going on. And that could be something good, but that also could be something where they need correction. And if, if I didn't care about them, I would just, I would say, whatever, do whatever you want. But because I care about them, I talk about them. Because I care about our profession, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't improve it if we don't discuss it. Yeah, we there's just a can't. parenting slash nurturing tone in that delivery as we connect the <clears throat> critiquing the field out of love connected to the way you talk to your residents. And as I'm hearing that, I'm hearing up, I can hear a little bit of dad James in that sentence as well. Um, not not to cite the multiple just ways that bit. the founder effect father thing, but there, there's something to that. It's there, there, there's that nurturing aspect, which is also harsh, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be coddled. It doesn't necessarily have to be protected or you have to put your head in the sand sometimes we just need to critique the goddamn thing mm-hmm. right but that's interesting so let's let's play with that if that type of attitude is tied to the frontier thing there's this paradox that we're bringing out of um i forget which one of the three of y'all mentioned it first but there's this idea that the idea with i think still was something like the system isn't working make a thing do something with it there, there, there's an inherent, uh, like the, the, the founding event was to break off of the thing and do something better, which if we were to follow that logic really well, almost like programmatic programmatically implies an iterative sense that we should also critique and break off of ourselves too. There's a fracturing that might be productive in this. I don't know if that's part of the identity then, or what, what, what do we do with that? Because it came out in a couple different ways in this past 15 minutes. You know, well, they're very incoherent. Great somewhere. question. That's a great question. Because, yeah, it raises that if I'm hearing you correctly, I mean, it, it, it raises the question, does, does, how, how much does osteopathy iterate um, after the founder? I mean, it is sort of that question of what, do, what do we do with changes within the profession? Do we do it? Do we hold on to our history to the point of of not letting it iterate or do we make that bold decision do it do that tough love 
and say, no, it's time to change and evolve regardless of what the founder would have wanted. Yeah. Right. Especially in the presence of new knowledge, new information, current and active research, it really should have a role to play. And I personally don't think it should be heretical to question Dr. Still and some sure. of the things that he did. I mean, he was a 19th century guy. And like, there's just, <laughs> I mean, that's just a very basic point, which is like, what do you expect to mine from that? Like the whole analogy. The other thing that's kind of interesting about it though, I think this, like, you know, Dante, your, your comment made me think of this. I mean, not only is osteopathy sort of like blessed slash cursed with having a founder, but like osteopathy is a pretty good founder. He, the guy hasn't been me too'd from what I can tell. Like, you know, like they're, they're not, <laughs> not that call, we know of. yeah, they're not calling to like uh, tumble his statues in Kirksville or anything. Right. Like, like right. he sounds like he was like, okay, you know, I mean, 19th century. So like, you know, there are certain things that maybe aren't good, but like, whatever. Um, but like not terrible, you know, and but like some fields in medicine, like gynecology, for example, or you know, you want to look at some of the founders and the the early adopters. I mean, there were some horrible people. Yes. So like, not only is osteopathy kind of weirdly sort of blessed slash cursed with having a founder because of what it does for identity conversations in general, but like we have a pretty good one. So there's no reason to like ditch him. <laughs> it's just, it's just like we need to figure out what, if anything, does this mean. You know, and that's a more subtle kind of nuanced question. I, I have heard from some students who are like, I'm so sick of hearing of this guy. I'm like, all right, all right. You know, like, <laughs> okay. So I guess let, let's play with the image of fractalization instead of fracturing. Maybe it's layering upon mm -hmm. versus straight up like escaping the orbit of still. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Very right. mixed metaphors. I'm reading the 2001 Space Odyssey. I apologize. No, but I think that's really, that's insightful because, you know, I mean, it, from a, from a continue the, the fractal metaphor, um, you know, because within a, a fractal contains, a, you know, elements of the whole at each level. And so by, by the profession iterating, you're not letting anything go. You're just bringing it to a new level. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about the, um, the international osteopathic literature, and I've just looked at it a little bit, um, mm -hmm. is that there's a, a fairly big movement away from the concept of somatic dysfunction um, into more of a biopsychosocial model. Um, and I think it it is, um, you know, I, you don't see it in the American literature at all. Um, and it really is one of those hard looks at osteopathy, like what the heck are we doing really? And what, you know, how, what kind of model can we use to explain dysfunction and treatment of dysfunction? And so I, I'm sure that there are a lot of osteopaths that look at that and 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 immediately think if i embrace this you know i'm 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 giving up my allegiance to doctor still um but it really is just a, a part of the iterative process and it doesn't it doesn't doesn't hurt from somebody who has thought about this new model <laughs> Well, and I think there's some freedom from the international uh, realm that mm -hmm. they don't have the anchor that we have in America for the the battle to become 
physicians, right. that right. physician acre really kind of pulls us back from having some of those discussions. And I love seeing that the international osteopathic groups are out there having that, that, that discussion. We even on our podcasts have had some criticism from international sources saying, are we still doing this the way the Americans are doing it? And that's a valid question to, to, to ask and discuss. So from what Canadian colleagues I have, and again, I limit that, that field of view to, I have a couple of colleagues in, in Canada uh, where we have some of these discussions. I get the vibe that even though there was a common name, the, the fields have meaningfully branched off of each other, playing again with that fractal evolution imagery. Like clearly there was a common origin point. Yes, no shit. However, um, the, the language, the tone, the philosophy, the application, the billing, the practices, the logistics, the public perception have all shifted into such different entities like osteopaths in Canada don't practice medicine in any technical or even or even philosophical sense. Mm. They mm -hmm. are doing osteopathy, whatever their verb form is, versus the osteopathic physicians are practicing medicine osteopathically, if we're phrasing that correctly. I, the more I'm hearing and reading outside of the, U, the U.S. context, the more I get the vibe that the U.S. thing, or rather the U.S. thing that is osteopathy, which we call osteopathic medicine on this turf, is not the thing that osteopathy has become in the greater entity of osteopathy, the other entity uh, from Little John and so on and so forth. Mm. Although my, my sample size is one country and like three docs in the country, so like... <laughs> I don't know what the New Zealand folk do. Like for all I know, they're doing exactly what we do, right. man. Like, I don't know. But it matters if we're going to play with this, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it matters in different ways. I mean, you know, you have major organizations that use the language of osteopathy. You have, you know, the AOA and ACOM and things like this, right? And And these are the kind of like, you know, formal organizations that are tasked with making sure we're educating the next generation of osteopathic physicians and that we have some kind of professional sort of, um, you know, orbit that they can, they can move in. Uh, but, but also it's, it's, it's not clear that the language of osteopathy is really the real force there. It's like, if you actually looked at all the different people within those worlds it's not like a philosophy would be the gu the gu the guiding uh or the the connecting thread um for some of them it would be for some of them they just happen to have a degree with that says something um you know and and again there are M surely mds that are more osteopathic than some do's out there so you know that it's kind of all up for grabs a little bit and and but still professions need that kind of formal infrastructure. They need those governing bodies and things like that. And that produces a kind of weird feeling of you know, where is osteopathy actually? Is, is, is it, you know, um, in, in, in patient exam rooms? Is it uh, in conferences where they're discussing issues? Is it in journals? You know, uh, the identity is really fragmented um, and they're going to be people who are gonna, gonna kind of carry that torch, but, we are, you know, our, our students are not really it exactly. And also there's a huge variation across all of the colleges of osteopathic medicine, even within the United States, in terms of how much osteopathy is taking place there. 
and uh, we we can see that the variation even in the techniques that are taught the variation in which what is emphasized let alone the, the philosophical differences and going back to that uh, fractal uh, imagery you, you know fractal patterns break off into all sorts of different shapes and colors they come from a similar seed but then they break off with the variations and form each a beautiful uh, product uh, that is part of a whole, mm -hmm. even if it's not uh, continuous. Yep. Well, gentlemen, where does that put us? <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Where do we go from here? <laughs> I mean, this is a this is an important conversation to be having as a as a profession and. You know, I, I do see it in some of the various specialty organizations uh, getting together in their own little um, uh, field and, and having this discussion. But uh, I think it's a discussion that needs to be had in a broader context. I'm just not sure beyond what we do from a podcast standpoint, how how we get this discussion as a, as a whole, if that yeah. makes sense. I guess I just want to say one quick point. I mean, first of all, you know, the editor of the... Um... Uh, International Journal of Osteopathic Medicine, where we publish this piece, Stephen Vogel, he's very interested in these questions. And I, I found that really uh, encouraging, um, you know, to really welcome the deep dive and the big philosophical questions. I guess the one thing I, you know, since I know we're kind of wrapping up here, I just want to say is I really want the profession to get excited about these questions instead of defensive, right? These questions yeah, it's it's scary looking in the mirror. It's scary uh, peering into you know the the guts of the profession, such as they are. Um, but we have no choice but to get excited by these questions if we're actually going to come out on the other side with anything other than a kind of inferiority complex. If we want to actually create guts. identity, then we need to get excited about what we're going to find and not fear what we're going to find. Well, and, and Dan and Stevens, thank you so much for coming and having this discussion. I think we need to have you on again, for sure. And this is an important uh, topic that uh, we can go on and on, and I, I think we should over a series of episodes. That's great. Uh, I appreciate your insights, your input, and it's, it's nice to meet you both. Thank you all for listening to our, our show and watching our show today. Uh, and we're glad to be back talking about your health about what osteopathic medicine is and how to take control of your own health everyone have a good night good night rolling bones the osteopathic podcast is brought to you by drs james aston and dante paredes we'd like to note that medicine is a constantly changing science and art with various approaches from practitioner to practitioner this podcast represents the Roland Bones doctor's views of osteopathic medicine and OMT and will be as evidence-based as possible. Now, comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors are welcome, but no money from drug or device companies is accepted. By listening to this podcast, you agreed not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including, but not limited to, patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This applies to the hosts, guests, and contributors to the podcast. 
Under no circumstances shall James Aston, Dante Paredes, or any guests or contributors to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. Please visit us on Twitter at Rollin' Bones Pod or send us messages at rollinbonespod at gmail.com. Thank you 